Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 105. To give you some background, a year ago I did an episode called What the Buck Happened? The Football Index Story. It's number 46. Check it out. And I covered this platform that was created to sort of buy and trade and sell players and make a lot of money. And the thing ended up kind of being a Ponzi scheme, fell apart, and people lost a ton of money. My guest today is John Nellis, YouTuber, who was actually full-on in that platform. He's since moved on to a new one called SoRare, which is based in the blockchain and operates with cryptocurrency. I, myself, got involved in this thing because I thought it'd be kind of fun. And in needing to learn how it works, I looked for a good YouTuber, and I found John Nellis. So enjoy this interview. John, I, I want you to introduce yourself. Um, not just as a YouTuber and a sore rep, mm. but also a football fan and a, a person yeah, yeah. as well. So go ahead, introduce yourself, nice. John. Um, am I allowed to curse and stuff? I'm just Feel free. As well? Feel free. Okay, just in case. And how long do you normally <laughs> run for? Just so I know as well. We can go for, you know, as as whatever you know. makes sense. Whatever makes sense. Cool. An hour, an hour, whatever. whatever. It gets awkward. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> what did I say now? <laughs> or, or, oh my God, I have got to go to the bathroom so bad. This just needs yeah, to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just drank a coffee so we could be in trouble. <laughs> but um, yeah, I suppose to introduce myself. My name is John Nellis. I'm from a place called Cork in Ireland. I grew up not far from Belfast in a little seaside town, which is in the north of Ireland. But it's a very small place compared to America. Like, I'm literally in the very south. I'm from the very north, and it's like a four and a half hour drive. That's the length of Ireland. But um, well, I've been told been Belfast is the best place to visit. That's what I've been told by a lot of people. It's amazing. So. There's a, there's a lot of history there. Do you know? There's a lot of like really interesting stuff and like gritty stuff. But as a place like now, it's really like coming into its own, coming out of all that. And like, there's loads of really beautiful like beer gardens and nice pubs and restaurants and places to visit and parks and all that. So it is. It's a very historic city, but. Um, yeah, I, I get, I've been into football. I wouldn't say my whole life. Maybe like, it's not like, I think living in Ireland, the standard of football here is so poor that it was like, whenever I was a kid, it's not like my dad really gave a shit or like any of my family members, but I had a couple of uncles who kind of supported Man United through the glory days in the late nineties, brought me over to old Trafford when I was probably seven or eight years old. And from that moment, I was kind of hooked, um, got into fantasy football, in my early teens, the FPL and all that, and just kind of followed the premiership religiously. And then I'd say about maybe I'd never really cared for European football. Like, don't get me wrong. I cared about the champions league, but I never really followed teams outside the premier league. Um, And obviously I got excited for world cups and euros and stuff like that, but couldn't say I really knew many of the players, but about three years ago, I found a platform which burned to the ground, unfortunately called football index. Um, And I got really, really into it. And it's, it's, you know, we're maybe I don't know how much we'll dwell or talk about these things, but the similarities between it maybe so rare is it is the idea that you can follow players from all over the world, supporting really niche teams and players. Like on a random Tuesday night, there'll be some game in Belgium that you might be able to watch, and you'll love Lord Hans Vanneken, who's some niche <laughs> player who no one gives a shit about, but he plays for Bruges and he's a god and he's amazing in that league. And it's this ability to watch football from all over the world have something riding on it, have something that you care to, to, to make you care about the game. And on top of that, being able to prospect young players from all over the world and try and pick out the guys who are going to be the next Messi's, the next Ronaldo's and sort of back them from an early age and follow their careers. Um, that's the draw. That is what makes me love these types of platforms, um, albeit they're all very different. But 
I think because of that, the only other thing that's kind of pertinent for me is like a football introduction is I don't really support anyone. I grew up a Man United fan. Um, but as I said, I got really into fantasy football in my early teens, which is about 15 years ago now. Uh, I'm 28. And I, I, I very quickly realized that if Man United were shite, which they quite often have been since Ferguson left, I was cheering against them and captaining players against them in fantasy games. Uh, and I was like, I'm not a true fan. So I just stopped calling myself a fan, but I never found another club. So I think I'm kind of one of these weirdos that I've kind of transitioned into that new way of football, like almost like the basketball model where people support players. I support players very much. So I support guys who I have on so rare or in fantasy games that are going to win me points for either bragging or win me money. Um, <laughs> so I'm an absolute degenerate who supports 40 million teams and not even teams that support specific players. So I suppose that's that's me in a nutshell. Well, look at my walls. I mean, I've got kits from right now. The the, the kits I've got are all internationals, right? Um, Can I name them? I don't know. Yeah, yeah go for it. Is it France, Mexico? I don't know the red one because I can't see the, the, the little red one. Is a Costa Rica kit that's like oh, really that's a weird rare it. one. Yeah, no, that one's yeah. It's cool. Is it Croatia above that? Yep. Is Colombia the one on the top right? The yellow one. So it's yeah, so Colombia. The red one you won't get. That's um, that's Vietnam, Japan. Vietnam, <laughs> and then Sweden. Yep, Sweden, and then cool. Italy and France are the bottom two white ones. That's a nice but collection. I also I also have a bunch of um, you know uh, club jerseys and and ones that I really like, and I I, I do consider myself mostly a Chelsea fan and a Lille, Lille fan because my those are where two areas my parents are from, mm. but. What you said about the football fandom, I think, is interesting because there are a lot of people who see the way you're supposed to be a fan is of a club. Mm. Um, and growing up, I just was inspired by so many players that I would end up gravitating more towards either individual players or teams that were inspiring at certain times. Yeah, like, I remember being all in on Real Madrid for a little while against Barcelona and then flipping later when, when the teams changed and were different. <laughs> and I had no yeah. problems with that because to me it was like, well, I just like what I like. And I, I think that what you're describing is a type of person that there's actually a, a, an enormous amount. I think more people who are just fans of the game than mm. of specific clubs. Um, it's just sort of yeah. something like you said, and there's definitely, it's definitely going more in that direction. Um from yeah. what I've, from I mean, what I've like, noticed the the younger generations now they don't have the attention spans for 90 minute games they watch highlights they follow players they don't follow teams um social media has meant that it's possible to follow teams from all over the globe or players who don't play, who aren't on your terrestrial tv station of a saturday you know so i think the the transition over the last 20 years with the internet is a huge factor as well but yeah i mean for me i am just a degenerate who likes players because they win me things that's the truth. But like, that's my way of enjoying football. There's people like, I, I'd love to support our team. I'd love to really be balls deep, but like there's nowhere close enough to here that I could go to games every week. Um, I'd have to be flying over to England and whatever else. And um, maybe someday, you know, maybe someday I'll latch onto a team. I have, I have a, a, like, I like generally teams that promote youth and play attack on football. They're like two things I enjoy. I like young guys playing an attack on football. If a team does that, I'd probably want them to win. Um, but yeah, it is very much the new the new way the game's going. I think. Oh, I, I and I think just all of these different things combined, right? <clears throat> you take the way our society is going with 
<laughs> people being shorter attention spans and everything and the way younger people gravitate towards any type of content, um, there was always going to be some kind of change in the way people did fandom. And the beautiful thing is that if you watch low-level football all over the world, there are still plenty of fans that go and support their local team. Mm. But then there's people like you or me. I mean, the Colorado Rapids are the team here uh, in the, the sort of professional team that we have in the, in the yeah. state, but you know, their games, they play the amount that they do, the, the amount of home games they do, which I think is about 16 or something, 17, 18 games. And the rest, I mean, if you're going to go to any away game, you have to get on a plane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, There's, you know what I mean? And so in a way it, it makes being a fan of a specific team, you're like a home game fan only. Right. And then That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then even better, this is, this is what I love. Is it? Um, well, so I have ESPN plus as a streaming platform for watching loads and loads of different football. They've, they've got La Liga. They've got the Bundesliga. They have FA cup, uh, league cup. So they don't have rights to the premier league, but mm. they do have a fair amount of football. They also have the MLS. If the Rapids are playing, I cannot watch them on that because of a local blackout. Oh, so unless I actually have the TV package, I don't have a TV. I'm, you know, I'm millennials. We cut the cords. A lot of us just, I just do everything on my streaming platforms. So I actually can't watch them unless I were to go to the stadium, my local team. It's, you know what I mean? Or unless I were to get, when I say it's cool, it's just really weird. I never knew about that. That's yeah, cool. so you've got I, these strange market things that have to do with yeah. broadcasting and but it's interesting, like I'd never considered that when I thought of like football fandom in, in the states because I suppose it must be the same with all of the sports. Or no, did they normally split things into like east and west because of that? Well, there there are conferences, but the size of the country is still the same. And I mean, yeah, you've got so many teams that some don't play each other really during mm. a season, or they will only play each other. Like I remember there was a time now like I don't I don't follow baseball, but I remember a time where uh, I was living in Boston for a summer and the Rockies, the Colorado Rockies baseball team, they played against the Red Sox. And someone mentioned that it was the first time they'd played each other in like three years. I was like, how is that possible? You're in the same yeah. league. They're like, no, 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 they're in the National League. We're in the American. I was like, yeah. How, you know, and so but there's so many teams, they're so far apart. Um the landscape is just very different, you know. Mm. It's something I hadn't thought about because I mean, in Europe, you know, it's every country would have its own league or top division. So, like in England, albeit maybe if you are a Southampton fan and Southampton are playing Newcastle, they're like opposite ends of that country, and that's it. That's a day. That's a proper trip. You might be better just flying. I don't know, but like even if you support like a London team, chances are you're going to be able to go to a lot of the away games probably on a train. Um, or drive in the car for two or three hours and you'll get there but it's it's completely different when you t- or even that's the same probably in france italy wherever else but when you go to like america and the sheer size of it it makes supporting a team very awkward yeah oh it's i mean away away crowds in the mls are super low They're, i mean there's mm. and a lot of the away fans that go to games in a lot of sports are actually transplants mm. right people who have moved from somewhere else and are still fans of a yeah. team so in Denver, we have had an enormous population boom 
in the last 10 years. People from all over, especially the Midwest, sort of like the, the central part of the country, a lot of them have come. So if you go to, say, a Chicago Bulls game against the Denver Nuggets basketball, the Nuggets are good right now, so we've got a lot mm. of local fans attached to them. But there are a ton of Chicago people there, right? And yeah. so in a way, the fans, they kind of stick with where they're from. But the, the travel to go and see a game mm. is something that is not super common uh, among the sports in the U.S. because it's a long way. Yeah, you you kind of have to fly anywhere you're going to go unless you're on the East Coast where you can like drive from New York to Philly in like an hour and a half. Mm. But the closest sporting market to Denver would be Salt Lake City. And that is a seven hour, eight hour drive. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's right? just different. So it's yeah, it's a different landscape. And the way fandom works in this country, a lot of it is based more in franchises as well. Right. Like. Mm. NFL my favorite example is the in the NFL is the Raiders when I was a kid it was the Oakland Raiders they were from Oakland right next to San Francisco <laughs> there you go you got your Raiders hat nice it's actually like wrecked I wore it cycling one day not thinking that I destroyed the hat <laughs> now it's just sitting here like a, in the Salty, hat graveyard sweaty. yeah disgusting Absolutely but, and, and that that badge is so iconic right yeah but the funny thing is it's not iconic towards really a city they were they had an identity when they were in oakland then they became the L, then they became the la raiders and now mm. las vegas right because the teams just move yeah. from city to city in a weird way so it makes the way people attach themselves to a sport very different here and actually mm. i think that so rare would be it would be really 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 positive for people's growth in terms of the way they think about the sport because i remember fifa when I was in university, I remember a lot of people who had never touched a football before, who had never watched a match. They could name you the entire Barcelona team. Granted, they didn't have a clue how to pronounce the names. Xavi. Yeah, they tell you how which foot they use and how good they are at skill moves. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. But hey, it was something that brought people to the table, at least. Right. You know, you had a guy being like, oh, man, I love that team. Barca. I was like, mm. Barca. Barca. Oh, he means Barca <laughs> because it says Barca on the thing, but he doesn't know that it's Barcelona. <laughs> yeah. Barca. <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah, I think that's actually a big thing with so rare. Uh it is that the fandom that it can bring to clubs and players from all over the world in niche divisions or that don't have a lot of fans. So, like, for example, like Korean football, Japanese football. Mm-hmm. Outside their current, or outside their sort of jurisdiction or their their country, not many people, I would say, are massive fans of Korean football from Europe, from America, from wherever else. But through like the likes of So Rare, you have this bunch of data geeks now and just football lovers who dig in. And now Cecenia is a god, who's like the top scorer over there usually, and like digging into the depths and finding the next Korean guy who's going to be amazing over there and it brings a lot of people to the kind of like the following of these pages and the, these teams on Twitter and social media guys who go and visit Korea might go to a game. You, you know, there's a merchandise market. A lot of guys I know in the so rare world love buying their Japanese and Korean jerseys. Um, and it's the same with the MLS. The issue with the MLS cards from a so rare perspective was that for a long time, um, they had a license with, was it like the players association, but not the uh, MLS 
So the cards on So Rare just right. like have the player's name and their head. But what they've recently announced is like a partnership with the MLS. So they'll be able to use club crests and jerseys, which will add a bit more in terms of collectability, player and club recognition. Uh, more club recognition, obviously. You know, it'll it'll be able it'll mean people look at the card and go, "Oh, that guy plays for X," and it'll raise awareness of teams. Because even though I'm like a so rare guy, I've never really got into the MLS part of the game, and even though I haven't really got into the Japanese part of the game, you could say just because the cards that I'm constantly seeing and lineups and stuff have the team badge, the team name, yep. you very quickly learn to associate like, okay, Kawasaki Frontale, their players always seem to be scoring well. They must be dominant in that league. And you build this mental picture of like, even though you don't really follow it, you have an idea. And I'm looking forward to now when these MLS cards are on. I will start to put players to teams to like, who's good, who's bad, who's what like names of teams, like not just the fact that they play the MLS, like actually having the, the badge in the name there. It means like, I don't know where all the clubs are based and I'll maybe start to build a picture and delve a bit deeper. And then maybe like I'm going to, I said, I'm going to America next week. I'm going to see Orlando city versus um, Char- Charlotte, Charlotte, Charlotte. Yeah. Near to the yeah. league. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I won't have a clue what's happening there, but maybe, you know, I wouldn't be going to that game and 15 guys probably wouldn't be going to that game if it wasn't for so rare, you know? Oh, I, I, um, and you'll have a great time. You'll have a great time. Orlando's Orlando has a really good, um, really good home crowd from everything I've I've seen. You know, um, one thing I did want to mention just to give context, what you when you're saying on the cards for so rare, one of the things that the big difference with the MLS cards, like you said, is that all you see is their face. Mm-hmm. So, and what you just said, the reason why there is, so rare does not yet have a deal with the MLS to use crests. My goodness, it makes a huge difference to be able to see a player from chest up and see mm. the badge and see the kit that they're wearing. Mm. It, I mean, it just helps visually so much with MLS players. I'm actually, it's funny, this is in my country. I know the league all right, but I can't even, I don't even spend any time on that because visually it's very difficult for me to make those connections. So I know totally what you mean. And it's actually mm-hmm. interesting to hear that's the reason why that they haven't quite set up the deal and they will, which it is, they, it's going to yeah, make a they huge have, they difference. Have, they have it, I think, for like next season. It's done, it's awesome. confirmed. But like all the cards that are currently on the platform are just, we, we call them the big head cards. It's just a big head yep. on the card, you know, <laughs> dodgy exactly Photoshop. Right. But um, yeah. So let's actually double back to this because you mentioned that. Your, your journey into this is where it, it, it did. You took a turn in the football index story. And mm. for anyone who's been around with me since the beginning uh, last year, I found out about the fall of football index and I did a little mini episode about it, sort of talked about it for 15, 20 minutes. And yeah. I thought it was fascinating because on one side you had people who invested into the, into the platform invested into the project and really enjoyed themselves and had a great time and some did really well and then all of a sudden it collapsed on them and then Mm. you had a another set of people that were like from the beginning didn't you see that this was a scam and a ponzi scheme how on earth could you Mm. let yourself get taken by this and i think that middle zone is what i found so interesting because Mm. there is no reason why something like that could not work right and yeah so just because I touched on football index, having never actually been a part of it, I would like for you to just explain a little bit of what your experience with it was. Yeah. 
It's it's one of those, I'll be honest with you, and, and I'm not trying to dodge it, I'll 100% get stuck in, but as a disclaimer almost first, it's been over a year now since it died, and in many respects, I kind of just like moved on. So remembering the intricacies of it will be tough, but like the thing was at the time, I mean, hindsight is amazing. Hindsight's 2020. Everyone can say, oh, how did you not see it? How did you not see it? And there were there were alarm bells there. I was on the platform for probably about a year, year and a half before it died. And in terms of what it brought to a ski and football fan, it was my first taste and a lot of people's first taste of that different way of following football, you know, watching a match and caring every time a player makes a pass, you know, every tackle, every time he loses possession, it's a different way to watch a game where you're watching a player or multiple players on a pitch and every action they do on a pitch directly impacts you. And it's, it's such an exciting way to watch the game. Um, it made me fall back in love with football and, and sort of delve into European leagues and leagues outside my sort of normal knowledge or um, outside the premiership. In terms of it working and, and could it work, I think there is a, a universe where maybe it works or where it could have worked. In hindsight, looking back on it again, you know, there were a lot of very, very smart people um, with big job titles um, who you kind of trusted, who spoke very well on different podcasts and pieces of content who were very bullish about it, a lot of money in it, really believed in it, and they could justify and talk about all sorts of models and this is and that. And I, I think it made everyone feel a bit safer, thinking almost like, well, these guys know what they're on about, so obviously it's okay. On top of that, you know, so rare, not so rare, sorry, football index. I mean, it was a blatant case of like, everyone was lied to, do you know? Mm-hmm. You know, it's very easy to look at it and go like, all oh, these degenerate gamblers fell into a Ponzi scheme. How did they not see it? What people don't see when you look back at it is the con- constant lies and false promises. You know, the NASDAQ deal. Like, when NASDAQ is attached to something and is the machine behind something, you know, that holds weight. That that sort of thing impacts your 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 perception of it. You know, that would have been a moment for people. That was a big moment in the market. Like, NASDAQ are involved. Pile in. You know, this is as Absolutely. legit as it comes. This isn't going anywhere. It's NASDAQ. Absolutely. They were shirt sponsors for a couple of clubs. Football index was on yep. banners at the side of football pitches. Like it, it seemed like, oh my God, this is legit. You you would expect the gambling commission or the person who regulates them to have seen that, the, that it's a Ponzi or that it's a pyramid scheme, do you know? But whenever all these things are happening, NASDAQ are attached to it, clubs and leagues and uh, teams are letting them be shirt sponsors. The gambling commission stands over it. You have to realize that for the average consumer, that's enough. And you you expect to be protected by those people who are regulating said product, you know? Mm-hmm. So a lot of people sort of put a lot of faith in it. Um, and then there were just constant lies. And my I, I made a podcast about it. I was probably the second biggest podcast in the space. You know, it was a podcast that was probably getting 1,500, 2,000 downloads a week, which was decent. Um, there were a lot of people big into it. And it... I it died in like a March, I think in about the, the September before. What's that like seven months, which seems mad. There was no a bit less anyway, six months. There was a, a bit of a crash in the market. I sort of ramped up my YouTube content then and was sort of trying to keep everyone calm and not make everyone worried. Cause I mean, like you know, the worst everyone was shitting themselves, they were gonna lose loads of money. I was never telling people they weren't going to, but it was a case of like, right at least we're all here together talking about this and would have had mm-hmm. streams where people would call in and that sort of vibe. Um, but like, you know, my spidey senses were tingling at that stage. I think everyone's were. Um, they did a couple of other things. I had a call with a guy from Football Index in the November and it just stank the call. Like, I mean, you're talking one of the main content creators in the space who's talking to thousands of your customers every single week. 
and he talked to me like I was a piece of shit. And I was like, okay, I don't like that. And then in December, they did like what was known as IPOs, which is where they sold new players. Initial player offering is what they called them. And I was like, that's a cash grab. And, you know, I started being very negative on my podcast and I'm so happy in hindsight that I was so negative on my podcast and I was really throwing the toys at the plant, was getting fed up. And by March, I was just like, I'm just sick of this. I don't even like this anymore. I don't want to talk about it. So I just called the podcast, knocked it in the head. Two weeks later, they died. So the timing wow. for me was the luckiest thing in the world. But like, um, I think so rare as well. It's almost like survivor's guilt I get because I was one of the main content creators in the space. I had a lot of money at one stage. But as I started to get more fed up and I found so rare. And then when Gary V tweeted about so rare on Valentine's day, 2021, which was about a month or two before football index died, I took a bit of more money out and moved it to so rare. Um, so I actually ended up getting away relatively unscathed and it's, it's that kind of guilt because so many people who followed me or followed my content would have got burnt massively, do you know? So yeah. it was a weird one, but it died. A lot of people got burnt. I think it's still, going through courts and all sorts of stuff. But the bottom line is one side is I understand from the outside looking at people can say, how were all these, de- all these degenerate gamblers were in a Ponzi scheme. They didn't realize how they not see it. The other side is that people were lied to misled. There was fraud involved. It was just an absolute poisonous thing. And over a hundred million was stolen from people. That That's the reality of what happened. You'll see a documentary about it at some stage. I'm sure it sounds like something Netflix would do. Oh, I'm, I, I'm certain. I mean, I, and I'd be really excited to see it. I, when I did my little episode about this, I did mention one of the things I mentioned was there was an air of legitimacy that was brought to it that was, yeah, enough to completely mislead a lot of people who otherwise would have been like, that seems like a fun game, but I'm not investing my way into this mm-hmm. because I could so easily just lose. Right. And then mm-hmm. it became, but the legitimacy is, it comes when you are able to succeed, not because of just blind luck, not because you are mm. gambling, but because you are doing research, you are, you know, paying attention to things. Yeah. And yes, maybe you're catching a wave every now and again, but the clear, the clear thing was that a lot of people who were getting involved, they, they did it because they saw something that was genuine. And mm. like, like you said, the NASDAQ deal, I mean, if, if, I, if I say NASDAQ to 98% of people in the United States say, well, the NASDAQ approves of this, people go, oh, okay, all right. Well, then, then it must yeah. not be gambling, right? And and so I, I think it's it's very important for people to recognize that it was, that, that people were lied to. And that was something that you could see mm-hmm. in a lot of the moves that they made. Like when you said that they they started to flood the market with more, with more players, mm-hmm kind of reminds me of sort of what twitter's doing to combat elon musk the idea of poison pill the market you just flood it with more shares to try and you know yeah change but even even, the the forces in the market which even once they were essentially dead and all their like looking back now at documents and stuff that are being released and coming out they were in the mud and they were still coming out telling people we're financially strong, we're financially stable, there's no problem here. Because there were questions about that for a long time. And they constantly reassured people and told people in emails and Zoom calls in their comms about how financially stable they were and how they'd projected and they were safe, not safe, but they had covered the dividends, whatever, da, da, da. They were for X amount of time, everyone's good. Then they come out with a hypey kind of Q&A, like in two weeks we've announced one, you know, Q&A coming, da, 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 da. 
yeah, 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 yeah. And everyone's thinking, all right, they're coming out with something here. So people put even more money in. The Q&A never happened and Football Index died. Oh my God. It, was the, it was the last, sucking the last sort of pound coins out of people's pockets or the, pe- the bit that people had in their balance. It was trying to just coax them into putting it in, you know, because I think the way their cover was that anything in your balance should have been protected, but anything in actual open bets wasn't or something. But mm. shit show, absolute shit show. Total shit show, yeah. Well, so then moving on to so rare a little bit because there is, and like we said before we got on, we don't want to get into all the technical things, but from my perspective, and you can sort of correct me if I'm wrong here, the biggest difference between so rare and football index is the money in the sense that you use cryptocurrency and it's on the blockchain. So it is not managed by one company's servers and account. There is a a layer of, because it's crypto, there is that layer of individual security towards what you have. And I think that's a pretty big key as a difference. Mm. It's not, it's not the only one, but that's a pretty big difference in terms of security. One of the reasons why I decided, well, I, I'll get involved in it because at least I understand that side of it. Mm. I also understand well, Ponzi schemes, but I can see them a little clearer for the simplicity of how they work. This is just, this is also new technology, which is, mm. you know, it's, a, it's, a, it makes it a little bit more interesting to see how the legitimacy can also continue to build because yeah. there's, there are further limits. There's, there's more, it's a bigger world, right? Mm. There, there, look, there are massive risks with so rare, like as kind of one of the, one of the main few English speaking content creators around it. Like I do constantly preach about how, like, you know, there still are risks. Don't put them in. You can't afford to lose, you know, God knows what could happen. It's a new space. But in terms of so rare as a prospect, what I love is that that sort of research can still happen um, following multiple leagues, following players from all over the world. And you do, you do the digging on the stats and you can get paid for, um, you know, being correct. Um, you can also lose money if you buy a guy when he's overhyped and he turns out shite. Mm-hmm. But as an actual like, like what I see for so rare and my grand vision, albeit it's very biased, I am ridiculously bullish and people can have the complete opposite view of me. But it's me. I'm going to give you my view where I see like NFTs in general, the whole concept that Gary Vaynerchuk always says about like 98% we're going to die. It's like a dot com boom. You know, everyone's cash grabbing. There's loads of bullshit, little projects, loads of cash grabs, but 99% of them are going to die. I think so rare is part of the 1% that supersedes that and goes on and kind of becomes a, a huge part of football fandom going forward. Um, and that that's what I'm backing to happen personally how I think that happens and why I think so rare is a little bit more safer of a concept is, well, the first thing is they aren't technically gambling because you don't lose anything. You enter these competitions and your cards still stay yours. It's almost like a free to play game with mm-hmm. rewards. Now there are risks there. What if they pull the game in the future? Do you know, if that game course, dies, yeah. why would they do that? It kills their platform. They will have secondary market fees. They want liquidity. They want people playing. They want people moving. It doesn't make sense for them to do that. If they've done that, it's too late already. Um, but as it stands in the game, you know, it sounds a bit bullshitty if you say you buy cards to win more cards, to win more cards, to win more cards, to win more cards. That sounds ponzi that sounds dodgy. Yep. But they have got the cash prizes in there and the thresholds you can win. And for big performances, you win the cash prizes. 
Um, and on top of that, I think where they really set themselves apart or where this goes long term is, and I think this is where like the the stuff that money can't buy, the 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 like the really valuable stuff comes out. It's experiences, it's trips, it's memorabilia, it's FaceTimes with superstars, it's playing five-a-side football here with your fucking hero. It's going there and doing this. It's those sorts of experiences that they can unlock through their licensing agreements mm-hmm. and their access. That's where I see so rare becoming that next level of fandom where fans can really connect direct with football players and clubs. That's what I see. Now, whether that happens or not, who knows? You know, yeah. I'll, I also yeah. see so rare as a, as a platform, like at the minute, they're in their very early stages. There's a bit of lag at the minute where they boomed last year worth over four billion and loads of people sign up, but neither in like this sort of recruitment phase where like not a lot seems to be being done, but, but you know that behind the scenes they're recruiting a lot of top talent. Um, but like on the website, for example, there's a feature where you can follow each other. Now, what's mm. the purpose of that? Where I can see so we're going, and this is again, this might never happen, but it could almost become like the social media platform of football. Football's big enough to have its own social media platform. Imagine this was a platform where all the licensed players and stuff have their own teams and everyone's in there milling about. What's not to say so rare get TV rights for some of the smaller leagues first. Premier League's obviously a bit of a stretch, but um, you know, they could get Belgian football rights. I have no doubt about that, um, based on the size of their company. If Paddy Parr can do it, you know, so rare can do it, in mm. my opinion, or even just clips for like goals and assists, big actions on and matches, you know, I might there, that's it's the new age of football. There has to be a licensing sort of agreement out there for clips as opposed to full, full long form matches. This is me vomiting out loud all the stuff I think can happen and why I'm so bullish. Because even if one of these happens, we all win. Um, that's where I see so rare potentially going all those different things and more. And because of all that, I think it's almost protected from the, the kind of they can offer stuff that's invaluable. And when they can do that, that's always going to have value to cards, regardless of, you know, payouts and the kind of Ponzi nature that the, that it would be without these things. Does that make sense? Of course. Yeah. No, no, no. I mean, and it, it's, it's one of the reasons why I find the polarity between football index and so rare. It, I, one of the most interesting things to me is the fact that football index really does feel like more of a 20th century way to sort of gather people and get people excited. It's a very basic sort of fantasy style game. So rare feels like the future in a lot of ways, because like you said, there's so many avenues they could go based on everything that is available today. Like you said, they could be like, well, look, a lot of the major streaming services don't really want to touch the Belgian you know, Jubiler League. Um, we'll just air the thing on our platform all the time. We'll buy the rights. We'll air it on our platform. And on top of that, we can have, you know, hire teams of people to be analysts, um, have people who make content on the league and stuff. And before you know it, it can be one of the more popular leagues around just because a niche has been created around it. There's the use of new technology. There's the use of new platforms to create engagement. And because the, because there are so many possibilities that we haven't even seen or and that people mm. are just kind of thinking of, like you said, 
uh, this is just a vomit of ideas. Well, all of those are legitimate, um, very, very possible to make happen. So yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I see the future of it being quite good also because collections, people, people love collections. Human beings yeah. will always collect things. And in a digital age, it's more difficult to collect things in a, in a way that feels meaningful. Yeah. And like, just when I, if I open up my so rare data page and I look at my gallery and I see all my cards there, there's something weirdly gratifying to know that they're mine. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And, and then there's the ability to trade and, and, and to create, have a discord with other people. And all of a sudden it's more than just, all right, can I get this guy and can I make money off it? There's, and as soon as you have a, that extra little bit of an X factor in it, it's got legs where it can actually go yeah. farther, right? So your, I'm with your you. Club I'm with can you. become your identity. Do you know, it's it's like when your granny has ornaments on her wall and she's some spoons hanging up from when she went to Tenerife. Like it's it's the it's the new age of that where you know people will be looking at MetaMask wallets in ten years. Um, or whatever the wallet of the age is, looking at different people's accounts, and you will be able to see in a nutshell like what makes that person that person, what concerts they've been to because they've collected their NFT tickets for things, what countries they go to because you'll have the flight tickets, you'll have um, all sorts of little pieces of fandom and like football cards, and then maybe maybe when you were a kid, you were big into the Lion King. So you have a Lion King NFT and then someone looks and goes, Oh my God, you like the Lion King. So do I, and that's kind of where I think society goes from on that front because everything is increasingly more digital social media is everything. Um, and just a few other points that I have here when you were talking about kind of like, so rare, a few other things that were just in my mind is like, in terms of that collectability, like at the minute there isn't like, I mean, there is a collectability to cards on so rare. There hundred percent is, you know, like one of a hundred, like one ofs get a, have a premium lower serials have a slightly higher premium, but not a lot. The MVPs, the really um, goats of the game, obviously have a collectability to them, rookie cards and stuff like that. But I think as time goes on, that just gets more, like that just becomes more and more and more collectible. The IP becomes more and more and more respected and known. And if so rare exists in 10 years, you know, then it starts to become more of a household name. And these, these cards can actually be properly collectible as officially licensed digital collectibles you know, akin to tops and panini cards. At the minute, they're a little bit too much of a flash in the pan and you, you know, they don't have that historical kind of element to them of like, oh my God, that's from the 90s, you know, but if we are in the 2030s and you look back and geez, that one was minted in 2019. That was like one of the first, that was the first licensed Mbappe collectible on the blockchain, you know, that sort of stuff. Then you're getting like, holy shit. Um, so that's just one point on collectability and IP. Another couple of ideas, like, something that they've toyed with before or mentioned, at least there's their founder and CEO was mentioned in, in interviews is like back to fandom, you go to a game, let's say you go to the Colorado stadium, whatever, based on the geo location on your phone in the so rare app, you get minted a special edition NFT for that game. Um, or of everyone who's within a certain radius of the stadium during the game, the person who has the highest predicted score, highest score, their team scores the best, gets a special NFT. Or you go up to the till and a QR code comes up or whatever on your so rare app because you own a player from Colorado and you get a free beer when you go to the counter. <laughs> or do you know this type of stuff? 
you know, that sort of thing can happen. You know, you get upgraded tickets, you get this, you get that. So the geo kind of locating and the, that element of it is something they've, they've mentioned before as well. Kind of like Pokemon Goey. But totally, the, yeah. last, the last <laughs> thing then just to mention is this doesn't have to be explicitly football or soccer. You know, they have confirmed that they've got two major American sports coming later this year. So that's two of basketball, NFL, and baseball. I don't think hockey would quite cut it. Maybe it I think basketball for sure. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> Just... If it's basketball, if it's basketball and something, then you're getting into the stage where, you know, so where it becomes an international kind of sports powerhouse um, media company. They can be everything they want to be across multiple sports. And then imagine a fantasy game where you put Steph Curry beside Leo Messi beside Odell Beckham Jr. He's like the only player or or Peyton Manning. I don't even know if he plays anywhere. Tom Brady. And then beside that, down the line, maybe you've got your Lewis Hamilton in the F1 game and you've got your Roger Federer and you've got this five-a-side team of absolute warriors who all are playing in their respective sports over that game week. And it's always on a matrix of zero to a hundred of the score and you can win. Do you know, like, yeah, that's so a cross-sport fantasy game, yeah. <laughs> which is crazy because yeah, that hasn't really happened. And if it has, it's been so niche that I'd never heard about it, you know? It's so interesting. No, I mean, that's a fascinating turn. I, I, and this is why I think it's fun is because, look, when it comes to NFTs, it's, it's it's and crypto, but in general, I mean, and I think the UK is, it's amazing to hear a lot of the, and to see and read a lot of things that come out regarding crypto and NFTs. It's very different from here. I think here people are kind of like, huh? Yeah, cool. If you're into it, but there's much more of a negative connotation towards Mm. it in the UK from what I've, from what I've gathered. And when it comes to NFTs in particular, I look at them and I go, okay, crypto is fine. Crypto is it's here to stay. It is absolutely technology for the future. NFTs are as well, but it's such an early stage. What kind of NFTs will actually be valuable in five to 10 years and which ones won't? We saw recently Jack Dorsey's first ever tweet mm. um, as it was sold as an NFT. And it, it was originally built to sell for hundreds of millions and it went for like $280, right? Because yeah. the reality is, there's some things have a sentimental value to us, but how do they have genuine value, right? How, do, how, does, mm. how, does, how do they both come together? And when I, for instance, look at my cards, I'm like, yeah, but like there's a certain point where like, what is the value of this in five years? I don't know. I don't know how, it, mm. in which direction do things go where people are like, I need the number 23 out of 100 uh, card for uh, Dusan Tadic that season where he's at Ajax, the 21-22 season. If I can get that card, it's going to be worth yeah. something more, right? And then if you look at the cards, you know, what you can get, you get rewards in the store where you can buy skins and things like that. And I'm like, these aren't necessarily things that will be worth anything to some people later. So it's going to be interesting to see what does and what does not start to hold value when it comes to the NFTs in time. I don't, it's kind of a rant on just, yeah. we don't, we don't really know. And, and I think no. the NFTs are the ones that are the most, um, how do I put it? Just the most volatile 
right? I, I don't have any concern with Ethereum. I'm like, I think that's here to stay, right? Like I really, hmm. you know, but then I'm like, but does a Jordan Teze PSV Eindhoven card, like, does anyone care about that in three years? So it'll be interesting to see more than anything, I think. But you see, it's like, I think the thing with like, so rare cards in general is, and I'm actually just putting a bid on a card because I've wanted it um, for quite a while and it's on auction right now and it's up in a few minutes. So I have to put a bid on. Do it. But um, <laughs> the thing is like, I mean, it's on so rare to to build kind of collectability into the game um, and have like awards or thing, reasons for people to want to collect cards. Um, and the thing is that not every card will be worth more in the future. Do you know, if you're looking at your account and you have an... Ogan, a Tebow card, for example, who's like what well, some random guy who I have a thing for, or Kang Seung Jin, or Josh Doig, or Mandela Kaida, or Hussein Balich. These are just some cards in my gallery. They're probably going to be worth zero whenever they come towards retirement, or they could get a transfer, or they could give up football, or whatever could happen. Those cards will all be worth very little. But in the short to medium term, it's it's the you've Shevchenko behind you. Like yep. Whoever the next, like there's cards of him on the platform, I think, um, legend cards. But in the future, like, you know, you have a thing for him. There's a reason he's on your wall. Is that Makalele or Kante or someone behind your head? Kante is right behind my head. Yeah. And then Kante, your, you R9 want your is next to him, too. R9. So, like, even whenever those types of players retire, there's going to be little nerds like me and you who are like, oh, I'd love a wee Kante card, though. You know, as I say, once that IP builds and once that collector, like the collector value there, once the legitimacy is there, once it becomes more Paps and Panini and less flash in the pan NFT, these things, like there will be cards that go to zero or next to zero. Of course there will be. It's about the utility in the meantime and what that can yield for you. That's where the fun comes into it for people on those types of cards. But in terms of the like the amazing players and the, the absolute legends of the game, like I don't think a Ronaldo card ever goes to zero. You know, no, I agree. It, I agree. And I actually think that like when he retires, people will probably panic and sell. But I think over time, the collector value that if you back so rare, if you back NFT technology and if you back whatever for the next 10, 15 years, you know, what's not to say that Ronaldo card doesn't become like the a Mickey Mantle or whatever they are, you know, in totally. 50 years. This was the first digital Ronaldo licensed NFT. You know, this is history here. And look at where we are now in the metaverse and what we do and da 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 da. But this thing is like, you know, like yep. It's it's I a matter of possibility for sure. And everything doesn't have to go up. Things will go down. Players will trend to zero, but there will be players that supersede that. And it's on so rare to have game modes for retired players, for legends, for whatever, so that you can still have fun with those cards once they once they're past their best, you know? Totally. And I it's it's why I'm so I'm so fascinated about the cards because like like you've you've mentioned Panini cards a few times. We can clear up what those are. They're for anyone uh, in, a, in the United States. The Panini cards like they're non-existent. No one knows what they are here. So it, oh, really? basically, yeah. So but, but everyone knows what baseball cards and football cards yeah. are. So not much different. But there's also the the book. You know, you get a, you get a book, and uh, I remember when I was younger, I, I actually had this big book of the French league. And so the challenge was, could you get the stickers? Yeah. There's, there's this, yeah, there you go. Merlin's FA Premier League go for. Four. Yeah. It's actually like there's Man United back then. Like this yep. was like, I think this was whenever I first really got into football. Like there's a week, there's Ronaldo actually. I think that's there his you first go. season at United. Ronaldo with, with the Vodafone yeah. Man United kit. But and this is a real so cool. like, European thing. 
Yeah, it is a very big European thing because so in the United States, the way the the, the baseball cards and everything that they're, they're individually, these are you know books where there's the slot for all these players, and if you can get the card or the sticker or whatever, you you get it in there and you try and fill out the whole thing. It's very collectible. It's also yeah. tangible. You can have it. You can hold it. You can grab it off your shelf like you just did. With NFTs, there's also people have to wrap their minds around what collecting a non-fungible token is. And mm. we as people, as a society, over time, we will assign whatever value we assign to it. So I'm curious yeah. to see how that goes. Like you said, the Legends cards, I look at them, I'm like, that's cool. But why the hell would I buy a, you know, Romario card for X amount of money when I, he's never, I, he can't play in my team, in my five-a-side team. So mm. I look at it and I'm like, I don't see value in that, but some people do. And so it's going to be interesting to see where that goes. Um, I also think that so rare benefits enormously with the card structure. They benefit so much from what FIFA did with the cards. Um, because with FIFA, you had the all the unveiling, right? When you, when you win a card and there's the whole, mm. like, you know, the fireworks and you go through the doors yeah. and everyone does their reaction videos where they go over the top yeah, <laughs> that culture is very easily um, it transitions very nicely into so rare where people, you know, there's the cards and receiving a card and winning a card. The same thing happens on so rare. So I think that's a good avenue for people who have always kind of enjoyed that side of it to yeah. be able to, you know, go across to another platform. One of the reasons I stopped playing FIFA is because it literally wastes your time. I mean, I love the game, yeah. but you don't get anything out of it. Fantasy mm. football, I, I play my, you know, fantasy Premier League like I've been doing for, I don't know, over 10 years. But, you know, at a certain point, how much time do you invest into something that's just a game? Whereas yeah. with so rare, there is actually the possibility for you to make real money. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Yeah, like at the minute with, with the size of the gallery, and I, I got blessed because I found it very early. And I was mm -hmm. quite bullish on it quite early and put a lot of money in. And, you know, now my gallery is worth a staggering amount of money, really, to be honest with you, compared to like my wealth, I suppose you could say. <laughs> um, but a lot of that has been generated through so rare from getting in early. So I could make a living now playing so rare. I mean, the amount of money that I yield through it, 100%, I could make a living doing that. The issue is there. It's the, the stability of that as a as a life as an income you know that could go tits up in a heartbeat and that is the other important disclaimer i said it at the start i'm incredibly biased i'm incredibly bullish what's not to say so rare gets clamped down on by gambling regulations across the world what's not to say i don't even know whatever happens uh world war three right. i mean anything could happen here and people could lose a lot of money um that's 100 percent a possibility but like um yeah i think like the, the kind of fifa comparisons they have to, they're playing that game very, very like carefully with packs and stuff. Cause packs, I think like loot crates and all can be seen as gambling. So they don't right. let you buy packs. You have to buy the individual players. And then whenever you get your player rewards, it feels a bit packy because you get a randomly allocated reward, but it's not like you've paid to win that reward, you know? So there's no risk on the table. It's almost a case of a randomly allocated reward and a free to play game for you. So they're kind of playing that game. But like recently on my reward opening videos that I do every Tuesday with all the rewards I win, um, I've got a guy like a kind of motion graphic designer -y animation guy who does me like almost like the pack reveal. 
of my reports. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah right. <laughs> to add to that, to make it more streamable, to make it better content. But um, so rare, I think, like, I think they're hesitant to make too much of that. That makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is a funny, it, it's, a, it's just a funny place to be, right? Where we're watching this grow and we know, we, we know that there's a genuine level of interest. I mean, people all over the world, I think, would love to to participate in this but obviously mm. like you said there is that fear i mean look i bought i bought ethereum on literally like the 2nd of january and in 3 weeks it went down massively right? mm. <laughs> it's like <laughs> and you're like okay i mean i didn't know that russia was going to invade ukraine and that you know and so it, like you said all kinds of things can happen that yeah. that can change this um and so it's it, it is it is about being on your toes and, and continuing to stay aware uh but the the level of interest i think that that fans really get from this is it, it's impressive i mean looking at the different youtube videos about it and there's more and more and more content creators talking about it yeah and people are really really excited about just playing just playing this game. So <laughs> I, I think the future is good for it. But like you said, there are some weird things like it's kind of curious that there's cards that you just get allocated and you're like, well, how'd that get created? Where does the money come from on that? Right. The cards that are auctioned, I've heard some people be like, well, where, where do these come from? Right. And so the, people well, have to so, wrap their so minds around them. everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I think the beauty of the blockchain and the beauty of it all is that everything's very transparent. You know, anyone can go and scrape an API and find whatever they want. It's all there. I mean, in terms of where cards come from, that, that's literally so rare's income. They they mint these cards and they sell them, and that you pay, you buy them off so rare. The secondary market where me and you might you buy it off so rare and then you want to sell it to me, you can sell it to me. But at the minute they don't take a fee, but that's another income down the line where they say take two percent of every transaction in the secondary market. If I sell you a card for a hundred quid, they get two quid of it. Um so there's different ways for them to make money down the line as well. It isn't all just about making new cards, making new cards, making new cards. It's like the whole NFT thing on OpenSea. It's the smart contract. It's the 10% of the value goes to the, the NFT creator every time it changes hands. It's the whatever it happens to be. So, um, I mean, look, the thing is, quite often with all this, if there was something that was going to jeopardize the life of SoRare, which it's almost one of those where, and again, maybe naively, I think, the company's too big to fail now in many respects. And maybe that's just me being completely naive because massive companies can fail and take a hit. But it was whenever that 700 million came in the door and whenever they're valued at over 4 billion and whenever you have massive names attached to them, Serena Williams is a board advisor, investors from some of the biggest investment firms in the world. PK, the biggest ever series. Griezmann. Yeah, the biggest ever Series B funding in French history. The president of France tweeting about it or whatever. When you yeah. look at all that, I'm like, and again, naively, perhaps I've been here before a football index where I believe people that I thought were smarter than me, but it's like, how can that feel at this stage? Do you know, it's like, it, it feels too big to feel, which is completely naive. And it's not, <laughs> it's not what anyone should put money anywhere based on, but I, that is niggling in the back of my mind. I'm like, holy gee, like, you know, well, you know what I, I mean? Well, I, so where I agree with you here is that it feels as if, it is the perfect platform at the perfect time, right? In the way that, like, like I said, football index felt like it was at the end of an entire 
way of doing things. It was, Mm. it was always going to end up failing because it sort of took on a model, like a very like stock market type of model of creating something, trying to generate as much wealth out of it as fast as possible without really much of a plan for what happens afterwards or what happens to Mm. people getting involved in it. That was, I mean, that was very much run of the mill. How do you create something to make a lot of money fast forever? And now we've gone into the digital age. So what's a platform that is fit for not just now, but the evolution of the digital age. Mm. And so rare, I think has a lot of those bases covered, right? It's, it's on the blockchain. There is the, the side of NFTs, which like we've said, it's (laughs) saying open sea. I I love it as as in marketplace is a great name because it feels like (laughs) this giant open sea where you're like, I have no idea what's going to happen with this in, in time. But there is a future to it. Um, and there is an evolution in growth that, like we said, some of it we don't know where it's going. But you have a strong feeling like this, this platform was built in the right way for an evolution into the future. Whereas Football Index, like I said, it felt like, like once you look at the way they were doing things, you're like this will fail. It just will. Because... Uh, and you're going to make a lot of money off of a lot of people, but the overall picture is it fails. Because- yeah, it was a. There was going to come a point where it was going to be a race to the bottom. There was going to come a point. Um, yeah, hindsight. But th- th- I think the thing with Sora is like, yeah, and this is not me telling anyone to get involved. You know, everyone going through your own research. Don't listen to a fool like me. I've been wrong before, but like I feel that where I am with Sora is that even if it fails in the future, even if it's not the the beautiful utopia future i think of like i don't think we're we're near that point yet um so even you know i I feel like there's a lot of a lot of things that can happen this year be it the premier league nft rights would be humongous um they you know it would be huge uh the two the two american sports that are are confirmed we don't know which ones they are but they have the licenses they're coming i think that'll be huge they have an app that's in beta at the minute that'll be dropped i think that'll be huge I think they're going to lean into market and I think that'll be huge. So I do think there's still a lot of things to happen, but it is obviously a very volatile space and one thing can happen overnight and throw the whole thing into disarray. But it's exciting. And back, like, aside from the whole like NFT and, and like the grand sort of landscape on all that, like back to what it actually does just for football enjoyment and like engagement and following teams and having something like being able to follow players and teams that you wouldn't otherwise give a shit about. Like it's great fun. I mean, the game is fun, and that that's important. And people are people love the game. People are addicted to the game. People spend hours in the game because it's a really fun fantasy game, where you're picking players from all over the world to play every week. Like that's really good fun. You're yep. following games that are across all different time zones at different times of the day. Your your weekends just nonstop kind of football. Yeah, it's great. Well, and you know? what what you've mentioned is something big because to me. I mean, I've been football mad my whole life, right? Um, just obsessed always. But I, I, I have noticed over time, like, yeah, everyone consumes this game differently. Right? I know so many people who can't watch a full match, but they love seeing highlights. They love talking about the game. They, mm. But they just can't watch a full 90 minute, right? I can without any issues at almost any level. But what I also tell people about 
any sport, anything. It's kind of like watching a TV show. Like if I stroll into the room and you're watching season four of Game of Thrones, I've never watched Game of Thrones. I've, yeah. I've seen, this is the way I've seen Game of Thrones has been like this. I stroll into yeah. a room and people are, you know, season four, episode nine or whatever. And I'm like, I have no idea what's going on. No investment yeah. whatsoever. I, look, this episode seems cool. I have the don't care. I don't know anything, right? Mm. It's the same if I just turn on it's an exactly Austrian Bundesliga game to halfway through the season. I don't know any of the players. I have no context for it. But after having purchased a few cards, found a few players from these leagues, I'm like, I kind of want to see this team play. Yeah, you know? I want to support like, my guy. I, I, I just, I bought this defensive midfielder. This might have been a bad decision. You know, I'm going to go check him yeah. out. And then you watch and you're like, oh, okay, actually, you know. And then there, yeah. and then you get roped into what I think is the beautiful part of the game is whatever it is that intrigues you, whether it's the kit that they wear, whether it's their sponsor, you know, whether it's the name of the club, whether it's the player individually, you find your own romanticism in in this and i think that's one of the cool things listening to you talk about your journey on this is you sort of fell in love with just the whole concept of you know learning more and 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 finding these little niche things and and mm. creating a way to make each game interesting where you were like every pass you're excited for because yeah for people that don't know like they get points for every connected pass. So you're like, yeah, there's another one. <laughs> yeah. A few of the, like the weirdest, like two or three of the weirdest games I've ever watched. I don't know why it's happened this way, but a couple of times where I've been like four of my players, it's a five aside game is what is on. So where four of my players have been smashed it. They've done amazing. And I've one guy left. It's happened to me like three times now where the one guy left is a goalkeeper. And he's playing on like at the end of the game week on like a Monday night, um, you know, the final kind of games. And like, I remember, one of the biggest games I watched was AC Milan were playing, I forget who they were actually playing, but I had Mike Magnan in goal. Yeah, Mike Mignon. Yeah, it was, I, I lied to you. He played for Lille at the time. Yeah, one title with playing, him. And it was, I needed him to keep a clean sheet. But it was one of those where like the clean sheet wasn't quite enough. I needed him to make a few saves. So I was watching this game of football, hoping that he faced shots to save them, but not really hard <laughs> shots. Do you know, it was this really weird way of watching football and it was the most tense thing ever. It's like anything. It's like it's much easier to be chasing or to be attacking than it is to be evading or trying not to get scored past. You know, it's much more fun watching a game whenever it's like, you know, you can score at any stage or even if you go behind, you can score more. Whenever it's like they cannot score or my guy scores shit on so rare. It was this really weird way of watching the game, you know? Absolutely. Um, Do you remember the game? Do you remember which one it was? I forget. It was Lille versus someone. It was like over a year ago now. It was because okay, because they, they won the title last season. Um, yeah, and he was he was huge in that. I mean, I remember met a lot of games where he, mm. I, you know, I mean, honestly, I think he's after the World Cup. I think he'll be France's number one once Uris hangs yeah, up the gloves. I think he'll be away. France's number one because he's he's exceptional. But it's funny to hear you say that. Like, yeah. I mean, it happens every week with my fantasy Premier League, of course, because there's no skin in the game on that, aside from bragging rights with a few friends. Uh, it is hilarious to watch a game and go, yeah. well, I guess he scored. I have him in my team. That's the goalkeeper. Well, 
you know, I'll take yeah. the goal because it's worth the same amount as the shutout. But now I'd like an extra assist because the, and then you're you're <laughs> yeah, hoping yeah. for all these it's, random little things. Yeah. But, like I've been to like multiple games in person now. Like I was over in Spain a couple of times. I've been over to England. I went to see uh, Spurs play. Um, I'm watching the players in person. I was in a stadium in, where was it? Elche versus Barcelona. I feel like that's mm-hmm. right. Yeah, it was Elche versus Barcelona. We had no data in the stadium, so I couldn't follow the players' scores. But I had like Ronald Araujo, the centre-back at Barca. And I was like, you know, watching him and being like, plus one point. Minus half a point, <laughs> plus three points. You know, tracking them through the game, trying to get this mental picture. It was, it was mad. It was just look. Some people look at that and they're like, "That's not watching football." Like you know, because they obviously are passionate about a team in the history, um, and that that's fine. But it's just a different way to watch the game. But so, something you said that I found interesting, actually, that I want to come back to, was that about watching football in general being about the narratives. You know, like what walking in halfway through an episode of Game of Thrones, you don't get it. It's an amazing analogy because, like. When, like for example, a game that I would watch no matter what is I'll always watch a World Cup game or a Euros game because I look at that and no matter what, even if I don't know the players, even if it's two teams, two countries, and none of the players play in any of the top five leagues in Europe, I look at that and I'm like, this is the biggest game of every single man on that pitch's life right now, you know? Mm. And that adds like a bit to it, you know, no matter what, you can't not watch that and be like, you know, this is the World Cup. Yep. This random guy from Tunisia or whatever team, it's like this is the biggest moment of his life. He has a penalty. Do you know what I mean? Or like the pressure on that penalty, you know, that type of stuff. Of it's those wee narratives. But like those little narratives and all the like stories of players who have been in and out due to form and they got a transfer and they used to play for this club and then they're over here playing with him. And last week he did this and they've been on a run of bad form and they really need to win this game. And this is a derby. All those little nuances build the whole experience. And the more leagues you can have that for and the more teams you can understand that about, the more football there is to watch for you every single day of the week, you know? Absolutely. Which just, and if you're a football fan, why wait to the weekend for one team whenever you could sort of, you know, when there's more out there, you just have to immerse yourself. And so rare is that kind of, that, um, I don't know, not this, what's the word? It's like a it's gateway. The, the you know? Yeah, it's the gateway into like having that. Well, and... I think when you mention the way to the way you watch a game, everyone watches games differently. And look, I'm a, I'm a youth coach. Um, I coach, I have three teams. I coach, I spend a lot of time on the fields working with players and watching a lot of games and watching youth games. You know, you're, when when you Mm. watch youth games, you're not talking about the most exciting level right? You're like, you're watching something that is riddled with mistakes, you know, riddled with technical errors, bizarre, you know, physical issues that kids have. They can't run properly because they're 12, you know, like (laughs) you have to take the game as like, well, this is, this is one version of the game. And then I can watch a premier league match and see that. And then I can watch a French second division match and see that the reality is, how you can how the game comes through from into your eyes into your brain what is it that you feel some people are completely disinterested unless their team is playing Mm. right like they turn on a game like i don't care i don't i don't want to watch this yeah so it's it's actually that's where you find out well there's a little bit more about this the team 
that they're interested in than the actual sport. So if you were to create this giant Venn diagram, basically, of all the different things that people like, people like their club, people like the sport, people like just the excitement of the narrative of a game, right? Mm -hmm. Me, when I watch, I can't, I struggle so much to watch a game in a bar with people because I cannot stand listening to the dumb crap they say. Like, as a coach, I can see a lot of things happening that a lot of people just don't. As casual onlookers, there's things, they they just don't understand certain things. Mm. And so, you know, I like watching games calmly, enjoy it, see all the different things, but I'm not a beat my fist on the table. Oh, the referee, what's this? Like, I am so unanimated when I watch a game. But it's just the way I consume it. And I think that so rare and a lot of these types of these types of just like we said, gateways, they give each fan the way to consume the game in whatever way makes the most sense to them and also find more places to consume it in that way. Like if you're someone who just you love to get like you love to have your individual team that you root for, you can find your individual team in a bunch of leagues and follow them much easier so i think that's the interesting thing is it's not about the right way to consume football it's now there's more avenues and more ways to do it Mm. and so is it's another way to get casual onlookers of the game deeper in the weeds you know and even within so rare there's multiple different ways to play that game and follow that game like there's guys who crunch numbers and data and look for the next guy who will be the meta player on the matrix they look for the next guy who geez he makes a lot of jewels he makes he wins he makes a lot of blocks interceptions and this guy's making 2.4 tackles a game and doing this and this and that and he sprays out 83 passes so because of that he's likely to do well and he's meant to move to this team and they're getting the new manager and they play this system and he could slot in really well there. And because of that, I think he'll play, he'll be an absolute monster in the matrix. So I'm going to buy 10 of them and just wait. Do you know, that's one way to play it. And then people are really invested in one player or they do that with 10 players, but they're crunching numbers. The other way is people go and eyeball it. Some people just buy guys they like. Some yep. people just do support Bayern Munich. So they buy 40 Bayern Munich players and play them across multiple divisions. Like the, one of the biggest accounts in the platform is a Liverpool fan, YNWA. And he has hundreds of Liverpool cards and he plays <laughs> Liverpool cards across all the divisions. So whenever Liverpool win three or four nil, he he wins tens of thousands worth of rewards because he's one of the biggest. He has the unique cards and the super rares and all sorts of the biggest players. But like he is still like just adding to his fandom of his team. You know, you don't have yep. to play with all these weird obscure leagues either. You can just pick up a team of your guys and it's just something else on the side. Um or I think maybe that's a you really follow, good point to make. Yeah, yeah you, you follow your team and you've seen in the youth academy or a guy's been promoted to the under-23s or whatever and he's doing this and you're like, okay, he might break through to the first team next season. So you go and buy one because you have that that edge. You know your team better than anyone else. And then next year when he does break into the first team and other people start looking at him, the price go up, goes up and either you sell him or maybe you never want to sell him. Maybe you want to keep him and use him in the fantasy game because you've you know that there's a lot of satisfaction there and prospecting and finding someone. So yeah, there's, there's a million ways to skin the cat. Like, and people play the game very, very differently. Like I don't proclaim to be an expert either. I'm, I'm kind of like a hybrid of all these things. I just kind of go off on absolute DJ and buy guys who I want. And then I'll go and I'll do a wee bit of digging and buy a guy because I think it could be good. And then I'll buy someone who plummet in value because I'm terrible at the game, you know, but, <laughs> 
that as the experience, you know? Well, and I, I, I think uh, it's one of the, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you about this was because I, I, I saw, you know, I mean, if you want a tutorial for anything, you go to YouTube nowadays. I mean, if you want to learn to tie knots or you want to learn what some good initial strategies for so rare are, you can go to YouTube and get this information. And so when I found you, I was like, okay, this is cool. This is like someone who has dedicated time and energy into learning about all of this. And there's a certain level of care into continuing to learn and share the information. And it's really cool to have also heard that you really experienced the football index story. And that not only that, I didn't know this, that you were YouTubing mm. about it at the time. So you're actually really well placed to experience just talk about not so much how to promote so rare and try and make it a bigger thing, but just explain why. And I think mm. that uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your channel was you're not telling anyone, listen, here is what you've got to do. What yeah. I love about the way you talk is here's what you can do. Here's what mm. can be fun. And without, you know, while always making sure to let people know, look, don't, don't invest money you don't have. Mm. Enjoy this and do it the way that works for you. Yeah. And to me, when I saw it, I was like, that is such, that's the connection with football. It's consume it in the way that works for you. Um, yeah. For me, as you know, with my podcast, it's share the game in the way that I find it interesting. I don't really want to talk about man united and their struggles every single week some people that's yeah. all they want to do is say okay it's time to talk about paul pogba again oh romo yeah, lukaku yeah. had poor 60 minutes let's go to town you know what are the things that make more connections in the game and i think your channel has been great for that so i really do recommend even if people aren't interested in playing so rare going to your channel gives people an idea i think of what the possibilities are to just continue to consume and enjoy the game in whatever form you want. Yeah. I appreciate that. I think like, I really do appreciate that because I try and make that kind of the message. Like I don't want to be a so rare hype guy while I want to ride so rare to the moon. And I hope they succeed because then I'm one of the guys who you'll find on YouTube. Like you did at the same time, I've been there with football index where I felt so certain about something. And I, I was never an affiliate of football index, but like, I was an affiliate of a thing called Footstock and I never I never promoted it thinking it was going to fail or anything, but I definitely hyped it up a wee bit and, you know, did that kind of thing where you're like, Footstock, this is amazing. This is going to be great fun. Not, and it was it was genuine when I was doing it because I genuinely believed in it and I genuinely lost money, but I've kind of learned from that and it's like, I'm not going to hype this so rare thing up and try and get people to join it. If people find me, I'll tell them what to do. But I'm not going to be like, you need to join now. You're going to not like, <laughs> you're going to miss the boat, you know, play on people's FOMO and set like that. That's not what it's about. Um, and what I'd say, I suppose, if people are listening and and they go over and, and, and or they're, they're thinking, ah, you know, that, that channel doesn't sound for me. I don't really actually care about Sora that much. If, if that's the case, they probably wouldn't be here at this stage in the podcast. But the thing I would say, go and watch, and the thing that I'm proudest of, I think, is I've done a couple of vlogs, which kind of are more football fandom going to games, meeting internet friends who are also into football, having a bit of fun, going out for a beer, um, heading to the game, tracking the, the, the so rare players in the match and all that. So the vlogs are great fun and I have a lot of that coming up over the next month um, and a few of them there. A lot of the other stuff is kind of so rare tutorial stuff or weekly kind of reward openings and stuff like that. But there's definitely some stuff for the 
general football fan there too. Well, and I, look, the, the whole point of my project here is to build community, right? Mm. Um, and that's one of the things that I sort of picked up from yours. I noticed you did a series with a few different people. You did your show me the E thing and yeah. you know, a few different people <laughs> talking about their, their own competitions and their own, their own journeys and connecting people is, is huge. And to be able to use the game that to connect people to me is invaluable. Yeah. And so, you know, you're, you're connecting people, you're YouTubing about this thing and it's, it's a new wild world right? NFTs, crypto, blockchain. For a lot of people, it's like, okay, uh, how do I really understand how to do this? And what I love about, you know, your channel specifically was here's a way you can do it. And Mm. anyone can sort of just get, get involved in in, in a way that you've, you don't need, you can play so rare with no skin in the game. You can just play with Mm. common cards and enter them and you know, play the game and scout more cards and look for stuff. You can, you can participate without actually having invested anything. And like I said, your channel, I think did a great job of showing how you can get yourself started and tiptoe your way into the cold water instead of just being like, okay, now you've got to dive. Yeah, let's go. I think, I think like it is what you say there. It's It's beautiful. The whole community aspect as well. Like I went to Manchester for a game just over a month ago now and put out a tweet. And two days later, there were 10 so rare lovers sitting around a table eating pizza, drinking beer. And like, awesome. that was just amazing. And it, there's no awkwardness because while you're all random internet friends, you all have a common passion. So yep. if people sitting around the table showing each other teams and tipping each other, you should pick up this guy or I'll trade you that guy for this guy and da 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 da, da um, which was amazing. And then the same, like whenever I went to Barcelona, a couple of guys showed up going to Orlando next week and there's 15 guys coming in for a game here all in the so rare going to new york um i think it's the third of may or something uh wednesday the third or fourth of may i think it's the fourth and like there's a bit of a so rare meet happening in the west village in manhattan and like that's amazing that's just bringing people together making connections making friends all over the world it's been amazing um that's what it's all about a hundred percent. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's what this is all about. That's what the game's all about. And it's, I'm just really excited to see also how this year, it's going to be so interesting, right? The world cup in Qatar, there's going to be bells and whistles of technological things infused into that, that we've never seen before. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I just, I just think the future, the near and long-term future of football fandom is, is modernizing in a way that's exciting and new and the reality is people are still going to gravitate towards what matters most, which is building your community of people, no matter whether it's a so rare community or whether it's, you know, you're a club that you support and everyone's wearing the same colors and the same badge or whether it's something completely different. Right. And yeah. I just think it's, I, I think it's really nice to have heard you go through that because it's so clear listening to your channel and and talking to you now it is about that more than it is about okay here's the way you can make a bunch of money i've got this new thing it's called so rare and and there is a very big difference in the mindset and then if your mindset is more based in community the things that you're going to attract and that are going to come your way are going to be far more sustainable far more Mm. compelling and just enriching for your life and so 
What's so rare? Okay, well, it's kind of like an NFT crypto gambling soccer thing, football thing. Okay, whoop de doo But what else can you get out of it? And you can get community and you can learn yeah. a lot and and live a little, I guess. That's that's yeah. <laughs> It's a hobby. It's a hobby like a lot of things. You know, a lot of people have little WhatsApp groups and Discords full of friends. When I'd say friends now, because they've talked to each other for a year about so rare and they're constantly having a few of them. And I'm not too active in them. I like to talk to people like this, but like I'm not a big texter. But you see these guys and they're meeting up and they're doing this and you know, they're following each other's lives outside, just so rare. And like it's it's brilliant for for that. Um, just connecting football fans, really. Yep. Well, then that's 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 what I'm excited about. We've just, we've gotten connected to football fans with a very different yep. story of how we got to where we got. And for some reason, we both decided to wear red T-shirts. Was, we I both know. went red today. That's that's Here a fun we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, this is this has been a real pleasure because uh, you know campfire football. The idea is to talk to all kinds of different people and things. And I've had recently. Um, coffee company kickoff coffee these these people right here um oh, cool yeah so and I, i'll throw this out there because i want to help them out there's a promo code campfire 15 if you want to get yourself a bag of coffee and 10 percent off so, but you know talk to them i talked to ida sports who um their company that makes football boots specifically designed for women and women's feet and the oh, wow. body load and everything and meeting all these different people it's who are doing totally different things, but it all comes back to the same thing. Everyone's got a passion for the game and, and a passion for people. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. I never thought that women would need different boots. So yeah, here, I mean, it's, it's totally wild. You, you check them out. It's IDA, Ida sports, um, Laura Youngson and Ben Sandu. They're the two co-founders. And uh, so Laura, she said that, she had not since she was a kid, she'd barely ever been able to play without her feet hurting. And she was like, I've always been buying boys. You know, it's just, I'm, I'm buying yeah. boys shoes, not even men's shoes. I have to buy boys shoes. And so she started thinking about it and she's like, it doesn't make sense. Like our feet aren't the same. And so they really did a deep dive on like the way your body loads. Right. And in, 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 in which directions, in which ways, and it's totally different. You know, we That's men, bad. so much of our weight is up in our shoulders. Whereas when your weight's down in your hips, it, it, everything about your alignment is slightly different. So mm. girls and women are wearing men's shoes when they play and they're designed for you and me and our feet and the way our body is. Yeah, so yeah. if you want to know why so many kids and I uh, believe me, the shoes have such a big impact on injuries. You can't even believe it. I've got two boys right now that on this team that I coach, they're 14, 15 year old boys. Two of them have been complaining for three weeks about their feet, their ankles, their shins. I looked at their shoes. I was like, that's too small and that's too narrow. So I told one kid, go buy new balances because your feet are too wide. And the other kid, I was like, just get a bigger size. This is ridiculous. Mm. New shoes within two days, all of those little problems gone. Mad. But with girls, it's... Yeah, it's it's so yeah, go for it. This this is this is and I know it's probably time to wrap up and I've just got you down a rabbit hole. This is what <laughs> no, I, no I did my ACL like two years ago. I was playing rugby and I did my ACL really badly, like tore it, the LCL and MCL as well, just destroyed my knee. But um when I was getting the rehab for it, the guy told me 
he was just talking away about ACL injuries and that of that. Women are way more susceptible to ACL injuries. Like 70% more, especially when they play Isn't football. That mad? And uh, around a certain time of the month as well, because yep. there's a higher percentage of something in their blood and their, their tendons are more el- elastic or stretchy or some crazy stuff. Yep. I think there's such a big difference. I mean, I coached, I coached 13 through 15 year old boys and girls. Believe me, it's like you can see where a lot of the issues come from with injuries and with girls. Mm. I mean, yeah, their footwear is it's wrong. And the more I've learned about it, the more I'm like, holy cow, like this is more. What I've noticed is there are more girls who and I I really do. Now I'm very firmly believe that the footwear has a lot to do with this. A lot of them, their knees cave in like their knees just Mm. sort of come in a little bit more. And my girlfriend, she's a body worker, physical therapist, massage therapist, movement specialist. She understands all this stuff really well. And she was like, yeah, like different shoes would really, really help that their knees don't come in. And then ACL injuries. I mean, if your knees are caving in all the time and you're playing a sport that requires that kind of agility and movement, you're in trouble. Mm. And so, yeah, I mean, that's with Ida sports. One of the things, I mean, they're, they're trying to solve that problem. And from the ground up, they've decided we're, we're doing this and super interesting people. But yeah, I mean, that's, yeah, I, I'd say look into it. It's, it's a fascinating thing um, and a, a cool rabbit hole to get down because you're like, wow, there's so many possibilities now. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. Something I never would have thought about. Madly no. interesting though. I know that's the beautiful thing. So um, well, John, enjoy. I, I, I'll let you go and enjoy your evening. Um, I've actually got to go meet up with my dad. I'm late already, but that's fine. Oh, no. No, deal. no, 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 no. It's, it's totally <laughs> fine. It's totally fine. This is he and I reschedule things all the time anyways. So but um, this has been really, really fun. And we'll just keep up. I, I, I keep up with your videos. I'm, I follow your YouTube channel. I really enjoy it. I learn a lot. Um, you have Absolutely. you have kept me from losing some money for sure. Oh wow! Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> no, you, you, you've kept me from losing. You haven't made you yeah. haven't you haven't made me win, but that's no. So I'm I'm doing okay. You're doing <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. No, you're doing great. You got me started, and I really really enjoyed. I've really enjoyed my time just fiddling around on so rare. I've I've invested like a couple hundred bucks, like just trying doing it from the very low level, seeing what works for me as a fan, mm. and what I and what I found is there is a place for me in so I'm not yeah. a gambler I'm not someone who's go- I will never put tens of thousands of of my own money into it because that's not the way I am it's not mm. where I generate my interest but there is a place for me in there and there also is a place for whales who want to go and be like that's it I'm, I'm putting 50 grand into this and I'm making some money yeah so I, it that's the beautiful thing and your channel I think did a very good job of showing hey all of you have a place here if you want one Everyone has a seat at the table. Here's how. So, John Nellis, thank you so much for that. (laughs) No, thanks a million for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Has been, indeed. And we'll we'll have to... Look, one thing I love to do with guests is bring them back on at a later time to 
do a see what happened yeah let's hope this isn't what went wrong video yeah yeah (laughs) hopefully one year we're not doing the one where we're both wearing black t-shirts and we're sobbing (laughs) you've got the all uh, your light show in the back is just darkness and dark and horrible yeah yeah yeah. let's hope so let's hope yeah there's just finished uh you know takeout meals and stuff in the back yeah, pizza boxes and beers <laughs> i'm here in like a tank top a black tank top yeah exactly so hopefully yeah. the where where is this now where are we now hopefully that one's a little bit more positive when we come cool. back to it but yeah i'd love to absolutely awesome 